I'm Micah. You're listening to the TMI Project Podcast Season 2, Black Stories Matter, where we're amplifying the voices of black storytellers who got on stage and shared their stories of joy, pain, and resilience. Kasai grew up in the East Village of New York City. For many who identify as multiracial, being split between two cultures is a cause for some much-needed soul-searching. For Kasai, not having any connection with his father or other black family members made it hard to understand that part of his identity. Like me, Kasai was introduced to Buddhism by his family. In this episode, he explores how the practice of chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo led to a turn of events in 2008 that allowed for self-empowerment and the integration of the many aspects of his identity. Growing up, not knowing my dad is not knowing my masculine self, my blackness, who I am as a person. The only memory I have of my dad is from when I was 18 months and learning to walk. I started late. I grew up in the East Village. My mom takes me to Tompkins Square Park and lets me walk around the entrance of 8th Street and Avenue Way. I remember her telling me, go run to your daddy. I look up and I see him there, my father, squatting down with his arms open wide to catch me. I don't remember seeing him again. As a kid, my mom does her best to support me in my emotional needs. At seven years old, she enrolls me into therapy. My therapist's name is Roy. He's a kind and gentle man. During my 45-minute sessions, I can do whatever I want. This means I play video games. While playing, Roy asked me how I'm feeling and how my day was. I never feel like I have to share, and I'm never afraid I'll be judged or criticized. Then for the last 15 minutes of our sessions, Roy asks that we sit down and have a conversation. He sets out a cup of Skittles, and we get into it. I tell him about stuff that's happening at school and at home. One day, I share how upset I am that my brothers know who their fathers are, but I don't. I feel it's totally unfair. I can feel myself becoming more angry the more I talk about it. It's like I'm pumping up all these untapped emotions and they start spilling over everything. I begin to cry and lash out. Before I know it, I'm knocking things down from a bookshelf and throwing things around the room. I'm exploding with rage. Roy lets me act out like this for a while, but when I start throwing things around, he tells me, stop. After that, I just sit in my chair, crying, and ask, why has my dad left? Still, I'm appreciative of the relationships I have growing up and consider myself fortunate. I have an uncle I'm close to. He's like my surrogate father and fills the masculine role in my life. It's through him that I first learn about Buddhism. Right away, I'm attracted to its teachings of awakening to your true self and self-reliance. I treasure my childhood in New York City. I run around the streets with my friends without a care in the world. My, my neighborhood is one of the first to be gentrified. It happens when I'm 14 years old. The neighborhood changes, and so do I. From a small brown child into a tall black man. My mom, who is white, wants me to have a black upbringing and grow up black. I have a white mother, a white uncle, and a white older brother. Even though I never view myself as being white, 
I never view myself as being black either. I view myself as being me, Kasai. Unfortunately, I'm now viewed differently by the new people in my neighborhood and society at large. One night, I'm walking home from a friend's house. I find myself behind a white woman, maybe 10 feet away. I don't think anything of it until she senses I'm there, turns around, and crosses the street. This makes me upset and confused. I feel like she viewed me as a threat. I understand that women need to be aware of their surroundings and be cautious, but at the time I feel like this is my home where I grew up. Why should I have to feel like a threat or an unknown in my own neighborhood? From that day on when I'm walking behind a woman, I always cross the street before she can. I do it partially out of courtesy, but mostly from fear of being thought of as something I'm not. I remind myself I know who I am and I'm not going to let someone's misconception about me dictate how I live my life. When I'm 19, I'm reintroduced to Buddhism. This time it's by a bartender at a concert hall I work at. I tell him I already know a little bit about Buddhism from my uncle. Have you ever heard of Nam Myoho Renge Kyo? He asks. I tell him I hadn't. He explains, by chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, you can realize whatever dreams you have and actualize your absolute happiness. I never heard of Buddhism expressed in this way, so I give it a try. I chant for a brief period of time and develop a dedicated practice a few years later. I never pray to be reunited with my dad. Maybe once or twice it comes up. But I never spend a significant amount of time chanting about it. Then something interesting happens in the spring of 2008. One day, I'm on MySpace. As I said, it was 2008. <laughs> my strange brother, my strange brother, Bayesian, sends me a message. I remember when I was growing up, my mother telling me I had another brother, but I had never met him. Bayesian asked me if I wanted to meet up and get to know him. I immediately respond, hell yeah. When we meet later that month, Bayesian brings our brother Copes with him. Copes is getting married and asks if I want to come to his wedding. He says our father will be there too. It's in that moment that I understand what that bartender was trying to tell me when he said that Namya Horenge Kyo would help me realize my dreams. At 28, at 28 years old, I'm going to meet my dad. I don't know what to expect when meeting my father again. My mom never really talked about him. I have no details about who he is as a person. Subconsciously, I had resolved that I would never meet him and therefore didn't give him much thought. So when the opportunity to meet him presents itself, I do my best to remain impartial. My sister and I go to the church where my brother's getting married. This is it. Even though I'm trying to keep my expectations in check, I'm definitely excited. I didn't realize how excited I would be. After all these years of not knowing him, I shut myself off from wanting to feel anything for him. I walk up a flight of stairs, and there's my father, sitting at a table in a tuxedo looking very dapper and elegant. I do a spin and give a shout of joy, my dad, wow. I'm thrilled. We embrace and sit down and talk. We don't have much time before the ceremony, but in that moment, I feel like a huge, essential, missing piece of my life has been filled. 
I had thought my dad would be this animated, kinetic individual. Instead, he's reserved and introspective. I have that attribute as well, but never knew I had got it from him. There's a lot that was passed down genetically. Now, my dad and I meet about four times a year for coffee. He's hesitant and cautious when we're together, almost as if he's apologetic and doesn't want me to have any hard feelings towards him. The first couple of meetings are awkward, but I'm able to convey my appreciation for just being there with him and let him know I don't have any expectations. When he gets more comfortable, he shares some of his stories from his childhood and from when he was in Vietnam. Reuniting with him is an ongoing process, and a lot of emotional and psychological things are still being sorted out. I'm in therapy again, and sometimes I think about my sessions with Roy. I'm glad I was given the space as a kid to sort out all my rage, sadness, and confusion. Roy created a, a safe place for me to talk about my father and my feelings surrounding that lack of connection. Looking back, I think it was in that moment when I was eight when I had the emotional breakdown that turned into an emotional breakthrough, that I was finally at peace not knowing my dad. It left me with an awareness that helps me now as I'm getting to know my dad. My happiness isn't dependent on knowing my father. It's dependent on knowing me. Thank you. This episode is a collaborative creation developed and written by myself, Haley Downs, Shantae Howell, and Daryl Lurie. Haley also edited, and it was mixed by Marlon Barry. The theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. TMI Project's executive director is Eva Tenuto. The director of external affairs is Sarah DeRose. The operations manager is Blake File. Shantae Howell is the publicist for the season of the podcast. And Clarissa Marie Ligon is our Black Stories Matter virtual workshop manager. Lauren Gill is our graphic designer and webmaster. This podcast is co-produced by Radio Kingston. If you like what you're hearing from us, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It really helps. tmiproject.org backslash Black Stories Matter is where you'll find more information about participating in an online true storytelling workshop just for black folks, or attend a virtual live performance for an all-inclusive audience. Help us continue to create radically true stories that have the power to change the world. Make a donation today. TMIproject.org